The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Our scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel chapter 8. Listen for the word of the Lord. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when he said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people and all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also they are doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He will take one-tenth of your flock and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like the other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I will start with a confession. When I read a passage, there are often one or two things that stand out to me, and it makes my mind wander in one way or another. And sometimes that wandering leads into a sermon, and sometimes it's just a thought. I read this passage over and over again, and the line that continues to stick out to me is, so that we may be like the other nations. Now, many will read this passage and their mind will race to political climates 
and how this more or less can relate to the church and the political climate one might find themselves in. And I'm going to touch on that in a little bit. But the funny thing is that that is not where my head initially went to. The first thing I thought about was middle school. I thought about 13-year-old Werner and how I desperately wanted to be like the other kids. Now, let me be a little bit more specific. How I desperately wanted to be like the popular kids. Not just any other kid, the popular ones. I went to a middle school that most of my friends from elementary school did not go to. And it was in a part of Long Beach that was extremely wealthy, especially compared to the area of Long Beach where I lived. I didn't really fit in there. My best friend in sixth grade and most of seventh grade was Marta, the cafeteria lady. I spent my lunches working the cafeteria because I got extra food and my parents let me keep my lunch money for whatever I wanted to spend it on. But mainly, it gave me a place to be at lunchtime. Yet, if I wanted to be like the other kids, I needed to get out of the cafeteria and up my cool game. I noticed that the most popular boys were really into skateboarding. Therefore, I got into skateboarding. I made sure to get all the same name brands that they had as far as skateboarding apparel and shoes go. And I even convinced my parents to get me a skateboard. I made a friend who was a fantastic skateboarder. He knew all the tricks. And he took me to different skateboarding demos where we would get a lot of free stuff and we got to meet professional skateboarders. Now here was the thing though. I did not like skateboarding. It terrified me. I spent most of my time walking around with the skateboard than actually riding it. I didn't care about the skateboarding scene. And I pretended that professional skateboarders were my heroes. But they weren't. I remember at a specific demo in Huntington Beach, I got an autograph from a random person and my friend asked me, why did you get his autograph? And I said, isn't that Ed Templeton? Nah, man, Ed Templeton's over there. I was so embarrassed. I decided to end my facade in eighth grade when I fell off my skateboard as I went over a small crack in the road. I ended up with a cast on my leg for a few weeks. And that was the end of Werner, the poser skateboarder. Trying to be like the other kids was not worth it. I couldn't do it right. And I neglected the things I really loved, like basketball, soccer, punk rock, and church. I saw a way to fit in and break away from the cycle of lunch loneliness, but I chose the wrong route. The Israelites, in this part of their story, find themselves in a tricky position. They have been led by judges and prophets, but ultimately, in letting judges and prophets lead, they had to put their trust in God. The judges and prophets were there to point to God's goodness so that they would be a people to be a blessing to others. And now the prophet Samuel was growing old, and he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel. But his sons were not good rulers. Scripture tells us that his sons took bribes and perverted justice. So the people are brutally honest with the prophet Samuel. They have a special meeting with him, and they tell him that they are concerned about his age and his crooked sons. And I feel for the Israelites. 
They feel like the system is broken and that things have to change. That is something we can all relate to, whether it's a political state, certain institutions, or even family dynamics. We have all seen spots where the system is unjust, broken, and things must change. So amid their political crisis, their solution is to bring in a king to rule over them. They say, give us a king that can fight for us, that will lead us, that will take care of us. They wanted a ruler over them like other nations had. Now, Israel was a peculiar people because they did not have a king. They did not have a monarch. Having a monarchy was common in the ancient Near East. One saw them throughout Mesopotamia and Egypt and the surrounding nations. The Israelites saw these nations and empires and thought, hey, we can have that too. James Kugel, professor of Hebrew literature, writes that during this time, many of the surrounding nations were having some internal issues. So for the Israelites, it provided a unique opportunity not only to cast off foreign domination, but perhaps to form a mini empire of their own. And I can see the attraction to this plan. They had a crisis of crooked leadership, and they believed that a king would have their best interests in mind. But if things played out in a certain way, they could potentially rule over other lands and become an empire themselves. Now back to young teenage Warner for a second. The crisis I was in was loneliness and wanting friends. I saw that other popular boys were skateboarders, so I posed as one in hopes of making friends, a solution to my problem. But in the back of my mind, I knew that being a skateboarder also had the potential of having more than just friends. The popular boys had girlfriends. They had status. They had middle school empire. And I wanted that as well. So yes, I can see why they were fascinated with their potential of having a king to rule over them. It wasn't just the solution to their problem, but it had the potential to really change their status and place in the world. There was one big problem though. In choosing a king to rule over them, they essentially said they no longer trusted God. They did not trust God to provide for them even though God brought them out of Egypt. They no longer trusted God, even though God provided them with food and with land. Yes, there was something in the system that was broken that needed to change. But instead of turning to God, they turned to themselves for an opportunity. And Samuel takes this personally. He hears the request for a king, and he laments to God that they have rejected him by asking for a king. And Samuel is in a tough spot. He has been faithful to them since he was a teenager. He has loved God's people and he has led them. And now they throw this at him? I wonder if he felt that all of his work was for nothing. So he laments to God. And God, also brokenhearted and betrayed and sickened, says to Samuel, They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, their God. They don't trust me. They want a king. Give them a king. Warn them one more time what kings do, but I doubt that will change their mind. So Samuel does just that. Samuel reminds them that in the long run, kings will put them on the front lines of war. 
Kings will put them in unfair labor and take the best of what they have for themselves and for their courts. Samuel warns them, but the people refuse to listen. They say in verse 19 and 20, No, but we are determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like the other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. A king is what they want, and a king is what they're going to get. Shane Claiborne, an activist and theologian, in his book, Jesus for President, shares about what happens after Israel asks for a king and gets one. He says, You can imagine the rest of the story, even if you haven't read the Bible. Kings, kings, and more kings. Some good, some bad, but always making messes. Things aren't always as predictable. It was often the good kings that were wiped out by Israel's enemies and the bad ones who did some serious border expansion and building projects. And it's not that they were inherently evil. People just aren't meant to have that much power. Even King David, a man after God's own heart, breaks almost all of God's commandments in about two chapters. Claiborne says this about David's sins, that they're so wild that it even makes the sins of some presidents look mild. Later down the lineage, King Solomon brings on gut-wrenching taxes and forgets the story of faith and begins worshiping other gods. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, doesn't see God's people as God's community, but as subjects to be subdued. In 1 Kings, King Rehoboam says, my father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. How about that as a message from the king? God and Samuel warned the people what would happen if they chose a king over God. This is what happens when one chooses empire over God's blessing. Yes, the idea of empire-like prosperity is alluring. But like Shane says, People just aren't meant to have that much power. Now, it's pretty easy to shame the Israelites and say, how foolish are these people to ask for a king when they should be trusting God? Why would they choose empire over God? Now, let's pump the brakes on that for a little bit. Because don't we find ourselves in that very same situation over and over again? For example, how often do we trust wealth elected officials, and institutions over trusting God. We do so every single day. It feels ironic to me that the currency in our country states, in God we trust, when we trust the dollar more than we trust the divine. Similar to trusting a king, we consistently trust in political figures more than we trust in God. And this is true on both sides of the aisle. If you think I'm talking about them, I'm also talking about you. Now, let me be clear. In this democratic system that we live in, we do our best to love God and our neighbor, especially the vulnerable. It is good for us to discern and vet our politicians and to vote and support people and policies that best love people. We must use the gifts of God to discern what we feel is right, just, and fair. Yet, 
we often place the person running for a certain office above God. We trust them and their words without critique, and we disregard the warnings and the messages to love people that the Holy Spirit is whispering in our ears. We trust in the loud and the proud, and we neglect the truth that God is telling us in a still, small voice. So I have a question for you, and for us as a community and the Christian church. What is the king that you are asking for instead of trusting God? I'll start, and I'm going to try to confess something real. I won't try to confess something easy, like when the preacher confesses about having road rage. It's like, come on, bro, really? That's all you're going to say? So here it is. I ask for a king and don't trust in God when I let my role as a pastor be my entire identity, when I trust my role as a pastor more than I trust God. I can get caught up in how I am perceived in my role. Am I caring enough? Am I socially justice-minded enough? Am I articulate enough? Am I a good pastor? Now, do you hear the key word in there? It's the word I. It's me. Werner. It's not God or the good news of Jesus. In a nutshell, the king I ask for at times is pride. I equate my self-worth with being perceived as a good pastor. And to no surprise, when I ask for the king of pride, I am a stressed-out pastor. Yet, at my healthiest, when I am not thinking about how I am perceived, when pride does not lead, that's when my gifts and talents and my calling as a pastor shine, and the message of Jesus is preached in word and in deed. What is the king that you are asking for, rather than trusting in God? Is your king similar to mine? Is it pride? Maybe it's power. Is it chasing wealth? Is it apathy and not wanting to care? What is your king? What is the king that the Christian church asks for, especially here in America? Now, I really wonder if for us, the Christian church in America, if it's the pursuit of wealth and power. And I get it. Having wealth and power is so attractive, and we can try to justify it. We can talk about all the good we can do. Imagine what good we can do if we had infinite wealth and power. We can have a little Christian empire. And there are some people who are legit trying to do that. It's called Christian nationalism. The world currently teaches us that the best way to survive is by seeking success, wealth, and power. And I believe that often the Christian church here in America wants that. And in doing so, we are rejecting God and asking for a king. That is not what God wants from us to thrive. God asks us to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And when we try to do that through force and power like a king, I fear that we may be risking our souls. 
people aren't meant to have that much power. We have so many warnings from scripture and history that wealth and power tempts us to make choices that hurt people. I wonder if that's why we see God work through weakness more than through strength. Jesus, who we believe is God incarnate, was born a poor child, a child refugee from Bethlehem, the one whose kingdom says, blessed are the poor, the one who conquered death by dying on the cross and resurrecting from the dead, instead of taking earth with a forceful military. I wonder if we could better represent Christ's church and be a better blessing to the world in places of weakness and humility. What if people knew the good news of Jesus not with forced policy, bigotry, and Christian nationalism, but rather what if people knew who we were by our love that comes from God? So friends, assess what are the kings that you are asking for rather than trusting in God. What kings are we asking for as a community? May we peel back the layers that lure us in, and may we trust in God and love that God and love our neighbor. Amen. Family, may the steadfast love of God give you hope, the redeeming power of Christ give you courage, and the abiding presence of Spirit give you strength as you serve the will of God this day and every day. Amen.